You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the President of CBMW. And on today's podcast, we have the joy and privilege of welcoming Rosaria Butterfield for an in-person conversation about her new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Now, this is a woman who needs no introduction, but for those who nevertheless are unfamiliar with her biography, uh, something I'm sure will come up later on in the podcast, Rosaria holds a PhD from The Ohio State University, (laughs) is the author of several books, including her most recent one, the topic of this podcast, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. But as she will also be the first to tell you, this is not the most significant thing about her. Most importantly, she is a sister in Christ. She's also a pastor's wife and a homeschooling mom a former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. So, Rosaria, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Colin and Denny. I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, those of us who have heard you speak before or read your books, we know your testimony. But for those who don't, would you begin by telling us uh, how someone goes from lesbian, tenured women's studies professor, (laughs) gay activist even, to Christian pastor's wife and homeschooling mom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll do that in two seconds, too. <laughs> um, and in fact, I'm, I'm glad we start here, especially with this book, because there are many people who have read this book and feel like, wow, you know, Rosaria got really cranky and angry. Well, Rosaria looks out on the, this world, and I know that I helped create a lot of the mess that's here. Mm. So um, I was, uh, when I met uh, Pastor Ken Smith, who is the pastor the Lord used uh, to bring me to Jesus, I was a lesbian feminist activist um, and a professor. So, and I became one of the first crop of tenured radicals uh, at uh, uh, in the in New York. And of course, this was in the uh, in the nineties during the, uh, the during the AIDS epidemic. And so, I went to funeral upon funeral, like like most of the people in the gay community. And um, even as an unbeliever, I will tell you, there is nothing very satisfying about uh, a funeral when. Um, when there is absolutely no hope at all. And um, so in the process of all of that, um, a very uh, a frightening thought came into my mind. What if, what if Ken is right and I am wrong? And what if Jesus is a ris- risen uh, and, and, and very much alive Lord? And what if I'm in trouble? And I came uh, just convicted of the fact that Indeed, um, the resurrection of Jesus is true, and it's a truth over which I have no interpretive power. In other words, like it would be true whether I believed it or not. Mm. And so, um, and 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 truth has a way of um, melting even the hardest of hearts. And so, um, and so, I committed my life to Jesus and. Uh, joined the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church, and um, that's when life really started to get hard for me in in lots of ways, Um, but not hard in some kind of a meaningless way. I mean, I just didn't know, like, how was the Lord going to work with my persistent lesbian feelings? I am actually tenured in sin. I was tenured at that point in queer theory. That was one of my... um, what's going to happen to my job. I can't do the job I was prepared to do. And those were lots of questions, but the Lord carried me through all of those questions. And, um, and now I'm an older woman. I'm an older Christian woman looking back on this world and, and, um, and those years. And, and I have been married 
to my husband, whose name is Ken, Kent, with the T. People kind of get the two Kens mixed up, and, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> but Kent Butterfield, and um, I've been married to him for almost as long as I've been a, Christ a Christian. And I think that's, I mean, that's God's blessing to me. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the ways that God firewalled me from the, the sinful world that I had helped make. Um, and so while this book doesn't go through the details of my conversion, uh, the fact of my conversion, but also the fact of my um, sexual sin is, is a bear. And I still am sometimes woken up in the middle of the night needing to repent of a sin I had actually kind of forgotten about, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. So I don't want that for anybody else. Rosaria, um, this relates to your testimony, uh, but I want you to, and it relates to your book, okay. uh, but I want you to answer this question okay. because I think the way you would have answered it 20 years ago is probably different from how you'd answer mm -hmm. it today. Do you think there is such a thing as a gay person? Yeah. See, that's the trip up, isn't it? Um, 20, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I hope I would have been right on this, but maybe not. But certainly when I lived as a lesbian, I would have told you, this is who I am. Hmm. Um, now, truth be, you know, I mean, I hadn't always had relationships with women. I had dated men in college. I... I was what people called a late bloomer. I don't know. That's a, that was the expression my family would have used for why I wasn't interested in men. Um, but um, but I thought that who I was was a lesbian. And then then when I read through the Bible and 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 sat under Ken Smith's preaching, one of the things that I came to understand is that you know Genesis one twenty seven the who I am. The who part of my I am is being made in the image of God. And we are made in the image of God in a creational way. So even though I was living in antagonism of, uh, you know, to the creation uh, ordinance, I was still made for the, that creation ordinance. I was made a woman, and I would be a woman in eternity. That's not going to change. And and I, I came to understand, really through Genesis, that um, that homosexuality and transgenderism were part of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so they couldn't be part of who I am, even though they were very much, it was homosexuality was very much part of how I felt. And so, Danny, you and I actually wrote an article together, and we used this title, but it was the thing it was the thing I had to learn. It's the thing I still have to learn, how to hate your sin without hating yourself. Hmm. And it's important to make that distinction. So no, I believe that there's no such thing as a gay person um, and I, you know, in terms of personhood. Yeah. Is it real that there are people who live lives? As, of course, that's not what we're talking about. And it's interesting when you realize what a bad idea that is and how that bad idea has now taken shape in our world in different ways. Because again, you know, 30 years ago, we talked about leaving consenting adult, adults alone. Now we talk about um, uh, protecting the quote-unquote trans child from her parents. And it's interesting to me that we've gone from allies to groomers. And there is no such category. There's certainly no such category as a trans child. You can you can certainly have a child with gender anxiety, just as you could have right. a child with anorexia. But that's not who 
that person is. So the fact that we got it wrong and that we keep getting it wrong, and even more importantly, that key parts of the broad evangelical church are committed to this wrong, this category mistake, um, it is becoming more and more barbaric. And we see the people who are most, um, most at risk are children. It's interesting because this stuff is so practical when you're talking about the real lives of people, mm-hmm. you know, people who are actually struggling with gender confused mm-hmm. feelings or same sex attraction. Mm-hmm. They're being told by everyone mm-hmm. that um, who you are is what you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not being told even by some Christians that who you are is what you're made for. Exactly. So what, who we are really is defined by what God made us for. Exactly. But we're, a lot of people get really bogged down in thinking of their own identities in terms of their own fallenness. Right. So it's not that we deny that we're fallen. Obviously we're fallen, but that's not what we're made for. Right. Yeah. We were designed for something else. And unless you have that point of view, it really does become confusing and get you stuck right, absolutely. in the fallenness. And I can perfectly understand why the world believes these ideas, but the, that the church has accepted that many, many, many aspect, you know, parts of the broad evangelical church and parachurch ministries are advocating a false, a bereft, an anti-biblical category of personhood is heresy, and it needs to stop. Oh, I, I agree. Um, we've talked about this before, but... I feel more um, passionate about this now, even than 10 years ago in this sense. I felt like 10 years ago within the evangelical movement, we were still kind of sorting ourselves out Mm -hmm. and trying to figure, figure some things out. Um, But I feel like we're past that. I I think we have enough theological clarity to speak to the, um, the, the, um, Postmodern critical mm-hmm. theory yep. <laughs> uh, worldviews that are that are coming at us, yep. and we're just going to have to be, uh, we're just going to have to speak with that clarity yep. now. And uh, it's so much what I appreciate about your ministry and what I appreciate about this book, uh, Five Lies in Our Anti. I just said it wrong. Five, Five lies, lies of our anti-Christian of our age. anti-Christian age. <laughs> I was about to say in our anti whatever. Um, so that's what we really want to talk to you about is the book and Colin. I'm going to go over to you for this. Yeah, so just stepping back, the the five lies that you uh, address here, Rosaria. Lie number one, homosexuality is normal. Mm-hmm. Lie number two, being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Mm-hmm. Lie number three, feminism is good for the world and the church. Number four, transgenderism is normal. Number five, lie number five, modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. I think one of the interesting things about this book that people will find is what it is that you see binding all five of those together, which is something I want to, I want to get in and and talk about. But before we get to that, something you do at the beginning of your book is you, you actually confess that these are not only lies that are facing the world, not only lies that professing Christians are currently believing, but lies that you once believed yourself. Right. Absolutely. And I felt strongly like I had to start there and, and this is not some kind of weird self deprecation. Um, this is, Christians should be known for our repentance. Mm. 
um, that our, our faith and our repentance, our belief in our repentance are foundational. And yeah, I believed all these lies as an unbeliever, certainly. In fact, I helped create them in some ways. Um, but then I carried a lot of them into my, my Christian life. Um, there are a couple of them that were, that are really pressing for me today. Um, one is the, the use of transgendered pronouns thinking that I was being missional or kind or just meeting somebody where they're at. And in some ways, you know, I mean, you can kind of see where I was coming from. You, I mean, transgenderism, there's a lot of comorbidities that go with that. People are pretty unstable, lots of mental health issues. You know, why antagonize somebody who's already um, in this kind of uh, state? But post-Obergefell, post-Bostock, um, it's not just a matter of vocabulary, it's a matter of ideology. And furthermore, it almost puts the nail in the coffin for these people. Um, somebody has to tell the truth. You can say it gently, you can say it kindly, you can even say it privately. But that was just, a, that was a sin. And not only was it a sin that I, that I consistently did for a number of years, but it's in books that have sold hundreds of thousands of copies, you know, right? So, so not only did I do it, but then you read it and it's, in a, you know, it's still in a book, right? So I needed to repent of that sin. And the other was coming out really strong against um, a movement called reparative therapy. And, um, you know, and I, 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 we, we both did that. We both did that. I know, I know, but, but I, I, I'm not gonna, I can't repent of your sin, so I can repent <laughs> of my sin. And, and I, I'm trying to, um, uh, you know, that was, that is such a dangerous one because, quite frankly, there are lots of reasons why people might experience homosexual desire. And one is abuse. And, you know, I'm a mother by adoption. I've adopted children with major trauma. I've spent, I've knitted sweaters in waiting rooms of therapists. I've sat so in there so long with, with my older children. Why would I deny anybody the counseling that you need if you need it? Um, but furthermore, the problem with that is it seemed to imply that I didn't believe change happens or that change should happen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that, I, I, you know, I'm, I, the, the gospel promises that a born-again Christian repents of sin, believes in the Lord Jesus, has the power of the resurrection, to, to battle that sin, to have victory over that sin, and to grow, to be, to, to, to live out that, um, that creational order that God gave us. We believe, I believe, that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not comrades in Christ here, brothers. And yet, you know, recently I heard, um, uh, you know, Greg, Greg Coles, who wrote a book, uh, Single Gay Christian, and works for Preston Sprinkles, you know, organization. That's being polite here, just calling it an organization. And, uh, you know, he, he said, um, if you offered me two pills, one is a pill to make me straight and the other is a Tylenol, I'd take the Tylenol. Because wow. why, why would I want to be straight when I would just trade one group of um, unholy sexual desires for another group of unholy sexual oh, desires? Man. And you know what's wrong? And I realized, whoa, Rosaria, you have been part of this problem. Because while... Uh, fornication or any kind of sin of heterosexual sex, sex, sexuality is a sin against practice, homosexuality is a sin against pattern and practice. So for anybody who calls himself a Christian to say, well, you know, 
it's just one is unholy, the other is unholy. And, you know, Greg Johnson um, would say the same thing in his book, uh, Still Time to Care, that, uh, you know, we all are, um, you know, that we are, it's people who are heterosexual are sinning by, by a kind of polyamory. And then furthermore, I started to really think about this in terms of like what's going on in Canada, the pressure to suggest that um, that reparative therapy is dangerous. And that's when I was able to meet with and talk with a, um, a, a, a California family practice physician named Andre Van Maal, who's done studies to show that even when reparative therapy does not make for a clean break for people such that they... Uh, feel like they can be moms and dads and that sort of thing. It does not cause harm. Mm. And so that was really, really helpful for me. And so there were a lot of things I believed, and I think you all probably believed them 10 years ago, and I needed to go on record and say, I was wrong, don't follow me. <laughs> well, you've mentioned that 10-year time span a few times now. Um, and I think it's interesting, uh, from your introduction, you identify two years that are were sort of flashpoints and even clarifying uh, instances for not the world uh, alone, but also the church especially. And that is 2015, a Burgerfell and 2020, Bostock. And I, I want to read uh, a paragraph here from your introduction. Uh, you write, after Bostock, we have nearly 100 pediatric gender clinics in the U.S. when we used to have one. After Bostock, we have government schools putting LGBTQ plus propaganda in anti-bullying programs where parents cannot exercise authority over their child by removing the child from them. After Bostock, we have ROGD, rapid onset gender dysphoria, and nothing short of mass hysteria capturing the minds of our teenage girls. Christians must read the times. Right. That's a call to prophetic ministry right there. Yeah, well, and that's, it's, it, it, you know, and I have all kinds of well-meaning evangelicals say to me, and I hear it from well-meaning uh, Christian organizations uh, like the Gospel Coalition in their promotion recently of, of sending your kid to public school as a very safe option, which it is not. For all of our listeners, hmm. do not think that is not true. But one of the things we have to, you know, and I hear people say, well, but Rosaria, you know, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You can't constrain God. No, you can't, but you live with constraints. Hmm. You and I live with constraints, and your children... Um, that what happens right now in a public school setting is not in any way fitting for a, uh, a Christian child. Um, I mean, personally, I would love to put them out of business if I could. That's not, that's not going to happen. But uh, maybe we can build some more Christian schools. But I do understand it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard call. But um, Christians need to know what time it is. And if you don't know what time it is, you really need to stop talking like you do. Hmm. The first lie that you mention in your book here is that homosexuality is normal. And I'm just curious why you choose that one to launch off. It seems like, uh, and I want to get into this later, but uh, you see actually feminism sort of upstream of a lot of these different aspects that the, the culture and the church is facing. But you start with homosexuality, and I think in some place you, you say that homosexuality is kind of the reigning idol of our, of our day. Can yeah. you unpack that for yeah, us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I said, I, may, I meant to say, maybe I said that, <laughs> but I meant to say LGBTQ plus the, the, the rainbow alphabet is the reigning idol of our day. And, and, I, and I started with homosexuality. Um, maybe this is partly autobiographical, that for me, my own homosexuality and my own feminism came 
into fruition simultaneously. Um, and so there is, there is a great deal of, of overlap in, in some the theoretical ways. But I would say specifically the normalization of homosexuality, hmm. not just the presence of it or the, the legal side to it, but this idea that somehow it is, it is normal. And the way that that has now bled into the normalization of what is the most unrealistic thing in the world, and that is transgenderism. And both, both of those, um, um, uh, let, let me just back up a little bit. Christians don't throw anybody away. So there's nobody here in this podcast, there's nobody here in this room who believes that the fall didn't affect everything. Right. And that would include the indwelling, for some people, the indwelling sin of homosexuality or self-hatred around your, your genitalia. So, so we understand that. We just don't think that taking an anomaly and trying to pretend it's the norm helps anybody. We believe that when you are trapped in a in a sin that is that serious. These are sins that violate the created order. They are antagonists to the very thing that God says is good. When you are in when you are trapped in that sin, when you are when you are actively practicing that sin or when you just believe this is who you are, that is really serious. You do not need a um, a parade and a sticker you need rescue from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you certainly don't need some heretic wolf telling you that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you just as you are, and there's quite frankly no rescue here. Um, but the normal is, that's the, the, the real emphasis in that chapter is the word normalization, not the fact of it. So how do you think feminism plays into all of this? And... Um, yeah, I, I, I would like you to connect the dots for us there because that yeah. that's another lie that you point to. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the way that feminism connects the dots of homosexuality and transgenderism is by a foundational belief that there is such a thing as the distinction between sex and gender, which is something that you do not see in the Bible. Um, and, and, you know, from a feminist perspective, there, you know, feminists have to make a distinction between sex and gender because, um, you know, feminism is uh, many things. Tell everybody what that distinction is oh, sure. in feminism. The, 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 the feminist distinction is that you have this kind of biological sex that you are, you know, that most feminists would say you are, in fact, born with. And, um, but that shouldn't constrain what you want to do in the world. So the fact that you are made and that's with a, gender, and that would be gender. The, Gender's your social script. Your social, your kind of the, 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 you know, the, the things that you, the callings that you have that, that might take you out of your, 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 um, creational design. Mm -hmm. And, um, part of why that, the, I mean, I think it's good to just kind of settle on that for a minute and think about it. You know, God is the master designer and he did not, he didn't build a bridge to nowhere. <laughs> he, he, he didn't make you creationally female for no reason at all. <laughs> and so feminism in many ways is a kind of, um, you know, it is, it is, a, 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 you know, it's, it's combative with, um, you know, progeny and patriarchy, babies and men. Because those are the two things that have to be managed. And so what's really, really interesting to me is that if you look in this world today, there, there is, uh, feminism is dead in the world, guys. Um, transgenderism has taken 
the sex-gender distinction which feminism swears by and has suggested that we have no need for sex at all. It's all about gender. And, um, and it's just, it, it is fascinating to me that you don't see any evidence of feminism having been capable of, of defending against the transgender movement. Because you lose what a woman is. You lose what a woman is. I mean, ironically, you, to be a feminist, you yeah. had to build on some yeah, exactly. natural law Christian foundations Right. To presume what a woman is. Right. So we don't have Title IX anymore. We, um, you know, all the things that feminists really did value. Um, and I think one of the things that really forces us to think about is what kind of patriarchy do you want? Hmm. I mean, do you want biblical patriarchy where godly men are defending us from wolves and tyrants and everything else? Or do you want the trans, or do you want the men in skirts? Because you, uh, men are going to be in charge. Yeah. Which man do you want? And so it's interesting to me that feminism is dead in the world, but quite alive in the evangelical church. Well, this is the CBMW podcast and you know our origins back in 1987, 1986, with the leadership of John Piper and Wayne Grudem. Um, this was one of the concerns way back then, because what was happening was feminism was creeping into the evangelical church and undermining and rewriting uh, tradition and what was orthodox, you know, for thousands of years. Right. Uh, and Wayne Grudem way back then was making the case. You begin with interchangeability in office, interchangeability uh, in leadership roles in the home. You end with le- interchangeability in marriage and then even interchangeability interpersonally. And that's why I love this quote uh, that you have in this section on homosexuality. You say, quote, egalitarianism, that's, you know, CBMW coined the term complementarian in some ways to uh, define ourselves over against feminist uh, evangelicals who would argue for women's ordination. They call themselves the egalitarians. Egalitarianism, you say, is the highway to LGBTQ plus church leadership, is the highway. Yeah. As a faulty interpretation that endorses sin in one context is imported wholesale to another, mm-hmm. end quote. It seems like there you're saying feminism, egalitarianism is the greasing of the skids toward yeah. LGBTQ plus. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not, I've, I've heard people say, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a slippery slope. Okay, it may be that, but that's actually not where I'm going. Hmm. It's, it's a false hermeneutic hmm. um, that both, both feminism, egalitarianism, and uh, pro-LGBTQ plus blah, 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 work on a false hermeneutic. They require, among other things, a Bible with holes in it. They require a Bible that is errant, not inerrant. And so that's part of why, at the, you know, in the end of the book, I do have an appendix about not only what the Bible says, but what it is. Hmm. This is not just any book that my feelings, my goals, my agenda can rearrange. So they both depend upon a faulty hermeneutic. And um, that's important to see. So this is not, I'm not making a slippery slope argument. I think there is one to make. Sure. I'm going deeper. So you hold to a complementarian point of view Mm -hmm. in terms of your theological position. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, how does that inform the ministry that you do? You you do a ton of speaking. You come to a ton of churches. Um, You're in town now because you're going to be speaking at an event that's being hosted on our church uh, tonight. Um, But... 
how, how do you navigate all of this? What are, what are the practicalities of that yeah. for, for your well, ministry? I think it's really funny that you think I do a ton of speaking because all the people I say no to don't think I do a ton of speaking. So I do get, I do get some speaking requests, but I, I rarely actually, <laughs> I rarely travel. And when I do travel, I'm usually here. I'm here to, you know, here at, at uh, I mean, haven't you heard UL. this before? Like, uh, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, you know, everybody, she was a big time complimentarian. Yeah, she was a contributor yeah. to our sure. covering biblical manhood and womanhood. She's speaking all the time. People will criticize. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You're complimentarian. Unless it's Elizabeth Elliot yeah, is, yeah. is the one speaking. So I, yeah. that's why I'm, I'm that's where I'm sure. coming from. I, I, no, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I think it's a really good question and it's something Kent and I have to think and pray about. One of the things I certainly do is, um, I don't do anything that my husband doesn't want me to do. So, you know, we're here because we like you guys. Um, So, and that, and that has, that has really um, been uh, important that my session uh, even, you know, tells me what speaking requests I, I get to do and not to. I, I'm a Sabbatarian, so I'm never, uh, uh, you know, somewhere else on the Lord's day and, um, or the day before, or I'm sorry about that. It's true. <laughs> well, I have to travel. I mean, if I'm traveling, yeah, right. then Saturday's my travel day, but yeah. I have to leave early enough <laughs> that I can't do an event Saturday night. Um, because I can't get, I can't get communion bread made and get my household yeah. ready for worship. And so, um, we do that. I've also, um, I, I don't do a ton. I write a book about every, what, six years or something. I mean, I, and I don't have a sabbatical. I, I, I write early in the morning and I do what I can. Um, but my husband is my covering and my children and my grandson are my, my roots. And, uh, I do what I can around, around that, but definitely, um, um, and Kent and I actually even talked about this before we got married, which was before Secret Thoughts was written and before anybody knew me apart from my little denomination. This is the world I helped create. I wasn't just the lesbian next door who led a quiet, closeted life and didn't want... I wanted to change the world for gay rights and for feminism. And so although I've, I've been forgiven, I am, a, I am a Christian, there's still a mess to be cleaned up. And, and and I helped make the mess, and so I do have a um, you know a desire at, within reason to help clean it up. But I certainly don't believe it's my first calling. My first calling is as a Christian, a member of my church, I mean, my my um, a faithful wife to my husband, a faithful mother and grandmother, and so um, yeah, I fit you all in after all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're grateful for it, and everybody should know. Uh, we're not being videoed right now, but we're all smiling as we're talking about oh, this. Yeah. We're having this conversation amongst friends, and oh, yeah. I'm asking things that I, I'm curious about, and I hope listeners yeah. are cur- curious about when we talk about these issues. Because it, of all the authors that are out there writing right now, and who people know, and who you do hear speak from time to time mm-hmm. at events, it, you're one of the more well-known ones, mm-hmm. and you're also one of the most, one of the more outspoken complementarians. Um, you're, you're just really solid and haven't really flinched from the issue. And it was very interesting. Even when we were talking about your coming here, you were just asking, what do you want me to do? Um, you know, we, we we wanted, we want, uh, I want to fit into what serves you and your church. And Mm -hmm. so I I just appreciate Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. And, um, and super grateful for that. And I'm, I'm glad that you addressed it in the book, uh, in the, in the section on, on feminism. Well, one of the things I've, 
appreciate about this book, especially as executive director of CBMW is how much overlap the things that you're tackling in this book to what we do on a regular basis at CBMW, you know, 1987 released the Danvers statement, defined the contours, doctrinal contours of complementarianism. 2017, the Nashville statement comes out, Mm -hmm. uh, your original signatory to that addressing LGBT issues. And three of the five lies you tackle are right there in, in our wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's so much overlap, but I remember when I first came on with CBMW, one of my convictions was this is the pressing issue of our time. Our, our doctrinal issues facing the church right now are anthropological. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add to that, that we need to move into the battle and that's what, that's what you all are doing. And I'm just kind of just behind you cheering (laughs) you on doing, doing what I can over here, but we, we can't coexist with lies and, and, and it is a lie to say that we are just comrades in Christ. It is a lie to say that our um, creational difference is a pattern without a purpose. That's mm-hmm. absurd, yeah. and and it and so this whole the you know we so we need to confront the lies, and we need to do it forcefully, and we need to do it like grown-ups, and we need to see how these lies are are buttressed by a host of other lies like side B gay Christianity or Preston Sprinkles, whatever he's doing. And, and a part of why I'm, and you know, it's like, oh, Rosaria, you name names. Yes, I quote my sources. I am an English professor. Mm-hmm. You know, I quote my sources because lies have names attached to it and they also have a body count. People are, people's Christian lives are being um, really sidetracked and, and, and maybe even more, maybe even worse because of this. So, so, um, so these are theological issues. The doctrine under which you are saved determines a lot. And I look at this world right now and I think about it. I came to Christ in a church that said born again Christians have the power to have victory over their sin and they don't keep sinning hmm. and they don't have nostalgia for their sin either. Um, that's what a born again Christian does. And when I when I came to Christ, I was discipled by uh, Floyd Smith to to understand godly womanhood. Why? Because it was a woman, and I needed to understand it. Uh, nobody asked me if we should have a gay bowling league in the in the church, <laughs> because uh, you know. But I think that does speak to something. And I don't know, Denny and Colin, if you feel this way too. But ten years ago, people wanted to know well, what's it feel like, or what you know what sort of the like the like the travel log of mm. of of the of your repentance and those kinds of things and and then the whole concept of repentance just got dropped off and we just wanted to talk about the travel log mm. and you know how is that any different than just bad secular therapy yeah with a yeah. kind of veneer of you know Jesus loves you and i think this is where we need to just get a grip people the gospel comes with blessings and curses hmm. and the, the the curses are very simple if you deny christ you should not ha- have hope that would be untrue and real love is based in real truth and and maybe that's where it also connects with that last chapter on modesty real love also values privacy hmm. you don't you, you, you want to help your, your unsaved neighbor, then 
have a conversation that's private. You don't have mm -hmm. to have a, in fact, having a Twitter war is really stupid. <laughs> yeah. um, but having dinner together mm. is very kind. And now, does that mean that you can't be controversial? I don't think so. My husband and I testify before the state legislature. I speak to the Durham County School Board on the subject of transgenderism and parental rights. And um, I invite people to dinner afterwards. Um, and I will tell you, the last school board meeting I was at, the only time the word perverted was used was against the Christians who spoke. <laughs> so that's the world we're in. So mm -hmm. it, it's good to move into the heat and know that, but value people's privacy. Well, it's one of the things I appreciate so much about this book is you take words seriously. Uh, it matters, the vocabulary we use as Christians. Gay Christian is not a term that we no. endorse. No. We don't endorse the use of transgender pronouns. The way we speak about one another right. is revealing what we believe, which is either in accord with God's purposes and his word or is against it. And right. and as you just mentioned, these the stakes couldn't be higher no. with the issues that we're talking about. We're talking right. about people's eternal states. Right. We're talking about people's physical bodies. Right adolescents getting double mastectomies mm -hmm. and castrations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you say um, in your book, uh, uh, in the chapter line number four, transgenderism is normal. It's one of the, I think the most uh, extreme things you said in this book, but also I think one of the most prophetic things you say in this book, you wrote, quote, I am convinced that should Jesus tarry and historians look back on the days of the transgender revolution, the people who advocated for transgender mutilation and the weak Christians who did not oppose it will stand in the infamy of Molech. Mm -hmm. Those were the child sacrificers. Yeah, absolutely. That's what time it is. And right. this book knows what time it is. You know what time it is. Our world needs to know. Christians, evangelicals, our churches need to know what time it is. Right, right. And that's why you can't be a soft Christian. That's why if the desire is, I just want to learn, you know, the only kind of evangelism I want to do is just, you know, I'm just going to be a, a soft presence. I'm going to just send my kids to public school and we're going to be quiet and we're going to have a little barbecue together and nobody, you know, I'm not going to say anything. Well, you know what? If that's your approach, you are carrying water for the other team. Hmm. And Satan is using you very mightily. Grown-ups know what time it is and grown-ups know how to say not on my watch not in my church not in my school not in my home they know how to set those boundaries and then setting those boundaries becomes a wonderful opportunity to love people well and i think that's one of the you know sometimes people are not sure like well how did we get here why can't we major on the majors anymore and I think, I think there are three reasons. I think one is we fail to understand that the seeds of the gospel are in the garden. The second is what we talked about. We've just, we just don't know what time it is. Hmm. You know, we're just partying like it's 1999 and, and we look as, about as dumb as, as the song, you know, <laughs> would make us look. But the third is that we have failed to love our enemies. And hmm. instead we've pretended our enemies are our friends. Hmm. And uh, that is a real key issue. That's, that's not kind. Of course we love common grace. I mean, I'm really glad that my unsaved neighbors, you know, mow their lawns and walk their dogs and all that stuff. But that's not the, that's not it. That's not it. Uh, back to your uh, chapter on modesty. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of voices out there today that are kind of pushing back on the idea of modesty and saying, oh, that's just a sign of you know, an unbiblical patriarchy, 
oppressing women. Um, it's just a reflection of leering men and their sordid interests. That's not something we really need to be talking about. Um, if, if a man has a problem, that's his problem. A woman doesn't need to worry about that. Um, you don't talk like that Mm-mm. in this. That's a dumb way to talk, Denny. So yeah, yeah. you don't talk like that in this chapter. I hear a lot yeah. of talk like that. Yeah, no, um, no. Um, so I, I'm wondering, what are you hearing? What, what are you arguing against here? Yeah. What, what, what's the message you're trying to get across? Right. Well, I'm not. I mean, it's funny because I'm not on social media, and I'm not. I don't really have to contend a lot with um, with those kinds of arguments. So I'm from, I'm from a conservative denomination. I, I, um, um, I'm just, you know. So that's not quite my evangelical world, and we, and we wouldn't even respect that as Christian in some ways, quite frankly. But what what I'm trying to do is is in many ways write a book for for for. Christian women who know the Bible's true and just need a little support in making sure that part of when we say something is true, we mean that it fits together for a glorious purpose. And nobody's on the outside of that because you're part of that covenant. Not, not only, you know, obviously you're part of that covenant if you're living that out, and also if you are believing it to be true. We are the body of Christ. And so, um, so this idea that, um, that I shouldn't be concerned about um, perhaps causing my brother to stumble, or my brother shouldn't be concerned about perhaps um, me having a bad reputation in the world, all of that works from this idea that we're just comrades in Christ. Yeah. We've got nothing to do with each other, you know, like, oh, and that's ridiculous. We are men and women. We will be men and women in the New Jerusalem. And, um, and the other thing that those kinds of, uh, uh, you know, accusations that you were mentioning speak I'm to... I'm hearing them more from Christians today. It's so ridiculous. That's because feminism is only alive in the Christian church, because feminism, and, and the, specifically the broad evangelical church... And I've heard because, you say that before, and it can't be said enough. Oh, uh, yeah, no. Feminism is only alive in the evangelical church, in the evangelical, It's dead in the world. It's yeah. completely dead in the world. But this just shows that so, me, so much of broad evangelicalism is not really leading the world. It's like we're all running a marathon, and the broad evangelical church is just kind of jogging about 10 miles behind everybody, mm-hmm. and you're all going in the wrong direction. So, um, so yeah, no, it's, 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 it's just absurd. But it also works on that idea that men are the problem. And, um, you know, do I believe that all people are sinners? Of course, we're all sinners. But, but that's why we absolutely need godly men to protect our families and our churches from the wolves. And, you know, one of the things that we've seen as we've seen the feminization of, of broad evangelicalism are inventions to categories of trauma and abuse. And it's not just like, you know, on the screen, it's not like in the big conferences. I'm a pastor's wife in a small church and I deal with young pe- younger women um, in my Titus II role who, um, and I often have to say to young women, fire your therapist, fire your almost Christian mm-hmm. feminist therapist if what she has told you is that you don't need to repent of this sin because the man you had sex with is 10 years older than you are or something, you know. And I hear, I hear things like this because you hear things like this because mm-hmm. that is what the church has done. It has redefined, it's, it's created novel 
um, interpretations of abuse. And those novel interpretations of abuse are connected to a novel interpretation of sin. So the idea that, uh, I mean, let's just, because I'm going to connect these two, the idea that um, if you are experiencing homosexual desires, you are primarily a victim. You are primarily a sufferer. You, you, God has not answered your prayers. You are primarily somebody who's been picked over and left off. And that is just a lie from the pit of hell. Actually, if you are struggling with either homosexual desires or if you're struggling as a woman with the desire to lead your husband, be a pastor, to be you know, to be loud in the world, if that's, if that's what your desire is, you're not called to ask God to take away those desires. You're called to repent of your sin. Mm-hmm. And so we see in the broad evangelical world a lot of this, this crazy notion that you can bypass repentance and get to grace. There's no, nothing biblical about that. Rosaria, one of the things you do in this book is name names. I do. And uh, you mentioned one a minute ago, Preston Sprinkle. Yeah. Um, I know Preston. He's I've known him for years. We've all been working in the same space, but from very different perspectives. Yeah. I've been in debates with him. I don't know. A couple times we've been on opposite sides of an issue at ETS, and yeah, yeah you name uh, Preston in here, and you go after him pretty. Uh, hard. Yeah, I think I, I actually I think I kept my claws in. Okay, so um, what what is the main difference here that is concerning you? And the reason I'm I'm saying this yeah. is because, as I said, we're working in the same space. He's probably one of the more well known yeah. guys out there, I'm, and he and he argues he argues uh, a not quote unquote a non affirming position, so yeah. that gay sex would be yeah. off off the table. He would argue you shouldn't transition. Um, so what is it? Yeah, then? I'm not, I'm not working in the same space as Preston Sprinkle. I'm sorry, I'm sorry if you are okay, but I'm not working in the same space because, um, he is being deceptive with his language. Um, he dedicates a book to the, they, who is the best Christian ever, you know, is, is more of a Christian than he is and who, you know, wore, um, a pastel rainbow flag at the last Revoice conference with the word Imago Dei uh, imprinted on it. Um, that is not a Christian. That may be a neighbor, somebody you love. It may be your sister. It may be somebody you would die for and you love genuinely. That's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who is covered by the blood of Christ and who knows that image bearing means growing in the knowledge and the righteousness and the holiness of Christ, not growing in the world, the flesh, and the devil. His theology is bereft. It is bankrupt. Um, He yields the moral language to the left and then doesn't have a biblical language to speak from. And he encourages people like, we had mentioned Greg Coles as well, people who um, I think are pretty vulnerable in all of this because of the sin uh, that is an indwelling sin for many of us of homosexual desire. And instead of offering the hope that is in the gospel, which is hope to battle your sin, to not only repent of it, but also to live in the what's called vivification of 
the gospel message, the light of Christ, the power of the resurrection, um, he celebrates a, a, a you know a, a category which more and more people are, are are you know deeply struggling with the loneliness that's found in it, and that's the quote unquote celibate gay Christian movement. He um, side he, B. Yeah, thank you. He he um, he suggests that the, in the the in his the books that I've read of his are um, uh, you know violations of third commandments in you know almost every page in the disrespect with which he handles scripture and um, this idea that uh, that you see in the book embodied that you um, he he Preston doesn't know if transgenderism is part of the fall because he wasn't in the garden. And this is, this is not how a Christian talks. Um, uh, now, Did it, God really say? Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, it, this is not how a Christian talks. No, what Denny's saying is right, but somebody would be like, well, but then he's got this, you know, this, the, he, he can, in fact, describe to you um, what might on the surface appear to be an orthodox reading of, say, 1 Corinthians. Um, but it's not enough in a culture like ours with Satan battening, you know, just beating down on the church to say, well, I just don't think it's God's best for you. Okay, that might, you might have been able to fly with that a couple of decades ago. You simply can't do that. You know, one of the key things that, one of the things that I've noticed about the entire side B mm -hmm. uh, side of the, these conversations about sexuality is that for years, there's been a refusal to recognize, at least among some, that to get these things wrong is an eternal consequence. Absolutely. Um, one of the things we, when Absolutely. we did the Nashville statement in 2017, one of the most controversial articles that was in there was Article 10. We got so much blowback mm -hmm. uh, about Article 10. Can you remind me what Article 10 Article was? 10 said, um, we deny that um, homosexuality and transgenderism are issues about which Christians may agree to disagree. Um, they are absolutely opposed to Christian faithfulness. And if, in other words, if you get this wrong, yeah, um, you're not walking with Jesus. You're walking against right. Him. You got the gospel wrong. And actually. so, w what I've seen so it, so many times from folks that are on the side B side is that they'll look at the folks that are on the side A side and still think of them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. And what I'm saying is, is you can't do that. You cannot do you that. You can't look at folks that yeah. are being excluded from the kingdom of God and offer them the assurances of, of, of the gospel. And, Absolutely. And the reason that, that I'm talking about this, and I think it's important for us just to sort of at least have the conversation. If somebody wants to come back and say, oh, you've misunderstood me, you've misunderstood my writings, or you put me in this category and I, I call myself side B, but I don't fit what you're saying. I'm fine. Let's have that conversation. Let's, let's, let's get our cards on the table. But this is the thing I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about how this affects real people. Okay. And just this week, um, our, our last episode was about what happened at North Point Community Church. Okay. What happened at North Point Community Church is not that different from what side B folks have been saying for a long right. time, right. For, for a very long time, which is that you would, um, you would say, yes, this is wrong. 
However, our, our church officially teaches that homosexuality is wrong. However, people that are living and walking in this will still affirm them as Christians. Right. right. That that is the that's right. the issue right yeah. there. Yeah. I- and so if you're saying out of one side of your mouth, homosexuality is wrong, but out of the other, here are the, here are the blessings of it. Right. Um, we've got a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I can, if I could just kind of press into that, um, that is, you are absolutely right. And I'm so tired of neologisms like side A and side B. Why don't we just say, if you actually don't believe that you need to repent of the sin of desiring that which God hates then you are not yet following Christ. Hmm. And we hope that you will. We hope that you will. But could we also say that helping people fuel, um, kind of fan the flames of our unhealthy and sinful longings and trying to create a theology that blesses what God hates is heretical. And, and this is, you know, this book is written for busy moms and grandmas and single women who we don't have time, who do not have time to give a thorough review. I cannot tell you how many moms and grandmas and sisters and aunts I talk to whose, um, whose young people have, have really fallen away from the church, have wandered away from the church because of, of this kind of theology, the, th- the theology that says, you know, don't fight it, it's not that big of a deal. And so I would like to, for people to understand that if my tone seems harsh, it's just, it's because I'm actually a busy grandmother myself. If the book is garbage, throw it in the garbage. Okay, you don't have to give it a book review. Mm-hmm. You can just throw it in the garbage. You can do with it what you do with all of the other things that are garbage. <laughs> And that's what I'm suggesting. And I think that we need to get on with it, and it's, uh, it's, it's time to do that. Um, what I want are people to come to Christ. And that includes the people we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And I want people to know a, the gospel that liberates you. And if there's a little part of me that is still kind of the... You know, I've got kind of a little bit of identity politics in me. I would say this. I I don't necessarily understand why um, we do have these parachurch ministries that feel like they need to speak on behalf, you know, of of strugglers. What we need to do is give victory Mm -hmm. to strugglers. We need to hold that out. Part of the joy of being a born-again Christian is I don't have to struggle in that way. And, you know, what's also really important to think about is that if your Christian theology has to impart identity politics, feminism, gay rights language, you know, quote unquote, mixed orientation marriage, cisgender, you know, there are what, 78 gender pronouns, and there'll probably be more by the time we finish this podcast, okay? So, you know, you don't want to get a PhD in that because it's, 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 it's what um, the King James would call vanity. It's just ephemeral. It's the wind. It's going to go away. But it's going to take real people and real souls with it. And so that's what our concern is. This book contains a call to repentance, not just for the lies that we believe, but for the church to turn again to our Lord and embrace the truth that 
he created us in his image. He created us male and female, and that's good uh, for good purposes. I'm so thankful for this book. I am so grateful that you wrote this book for your ministry. I honestly think this is the book of 2023. That's why we're giving away 100 copies tonight at our event. That's why we're going to do a giveaway uh, later on this year at CBMW. People donate any amount. They're going to get this book um, because it's not garbage. It's actually, in fact, very good and has something, honestly, for every one of us that would pick it up and read it and take it seriously. So, Rosaria, thank you so much for this book. Thank you, Tom. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.